from the summit in Asheville, North Carolina, the Corps presents sales training boot camp with Rick Ruby and 14-year NBA veteran Muggsy Bogues. All right, we're going to have a fun afternoon. I have had a great, great time. We are having a blast. Um, I am too. This is always one of my highlights, meeting the famous people. I get giddy. I really like it. You know, uh, you know, uh, Toddy wanted golfers, so Rita got him that golf lady. What's her name? Annika Sorensen, the most famous female golfer, okay? Well, I'm telling you, this is my sport. Now we're going to basketball. So, a couple great things we're going to talk about. We're talking about overcoming in life. This man's going to share what he's overcome, and we're going to talk about change. And I'm sure he's had to go through lots of changes in life and in business. Um, I think that uh, the, the couple times I've talked to him on the phone, very exciting, led a crazy life. Anytime you're a professional at any business and you reach the highest levels in business, in life, sports, politics, you've got great stories and you've accomplished a lot. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch a little video on him, and he's going to come up and talk. And then we'll do a little Q&A after, and we're going to be super, super attentive, take some notes, pay great attention, and give him all the respect he deserves. So without further ado, a little video on my man. Muggsy Bogues had a dream. He yearned to play in the toughest basketball league in the world. The NBA. There was only one problem. We gotta say something for the short people in this game, because we got Muggsy was only five foot three. His friends laughed. Oh, it's a long way up to that hill from Muggsy. What do you know that? But Muggsy believed. And despite experts giving him no chance. Little Muggsy Bogues went on to play 14 years in the NBA. Look at Muggsy Bogues. All the world things it up there. That's it. Here he is. Muggsy Bogues! Give it up! Thank you. I'm on. Thank you, guys. First, I want to thank Rick for bringing me up to share my story with you guys. I hope you guys have been having a great time since you've been here. I've been here about four or five times at the Grove Park Inn, and it's a great resort. A lot of activities here to, to keep you busy, so I'm quite sure you guys enjoyed yourself. Um, watching that, sh that little short video, it was kind of making me a little misty there. I have not seen that video, some of the clips that you've been showing on. I don't know how you got that, but I need to see you afterwards. You know? <laughs> many, many years ago, you know, I grew up in the inner city of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, it's a rough, rough place to grow up in. Uh, if any of you guys watched a TV show called The Wire back in the day, uh, a couple years ago, where it was aired, uh, that was pretty much where I grew up at. And that was the, the type of situation I was faced in every day of my entire young life. Uh, when I was three years old, my godmother, love her heart, she gave me this big red, a big orange object. You know, and I didn't know what it was. I just know that it was huge and that it rolled everywhere and I could not control it. And then I understood that it was a basketball. And that time that she put that ball in my hand, I never put it down. And they didn't realize what it was, where it was going to carry me, but I had a really, um, a true understanding that, 
you know, this thing here is something to, to, to possibly, you know, have a lot of fun, but I didn't know exactly what type of fun it was going to really, you know, install. And as I was playing, you know, and didn't realize once I go out and start trying to play the actual game of basketball, how much criticism that I was getting because I was only the smallest guy out there on the court. You know, five years old, six years old, you know, I was continuing to keep trying to play the game and, and kids were just so cruel. They were so mean to you. Just always had all the, the, the worst things to say to you. And it was about short jokes. And, you know, I just always kept remember telling my mom, going home, you know, real mad, real angry, you know, letting her, telling her that, you know, they won't let me play, they won't let me play. And, you know, she had no idea what basketball was. And she was, don't worry about it. They don't know what you are. You just keep going out there and, and, and believe in yourself. They don't know what your capabilities or your heart. You just keep believing. And I just kept going out and kept getting criticized and kept getting talked about. And uh, when I was five years old, I was outside at the wrong place at the wrong time. After one of the basketball games was, uh, was being played, the, 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 the sunlight was starting to die. It was starting to become nighttime, and everybody went in the house, and I decided to stay outside a little bit, and a fight broke out across the street, and I was wanting to be nosy, and I went out there and looked to see what was going on, and at that time, an old man grabbed his... Uh, shot a double barrel shotgun and start shooting and lo and behold I was one of the guys that got shot so I got shot when I was five years old I still carry the the pellet in my arm today to keep me humble to let me know where I came from and from that moment on I think it kind of changed my whole perspective and I was laying in the hospital thinking that I was going to never make it thinking that I was going to you know possibly you know, never be part of this world again. And all of a sudden, you know, I just had this whole new perspective of life. I just didn't care what anybody said. You know, when I start now, when I went back out to play basketball after I healed up and got better, you know, and then when the people was talking about, you know, my, uh, my name was Tyrone then. And they was like, Ty, you shouldn't play this game. You're too small. Get out here. You're a little kid. Go sit your foot on the curb and swing it. You know, and then little, little joke. So they always constantly keep telling you that. But at that time, you know, and after I said after I got shot, it just changed my whole perspective. I didn't care anymore. I just kept going out there and proving them wrong, kept playing. Then all of a sudden, I got really good at stealing that basketball. <laughs> and then, you know, I was about eight or nine years old. And every time, a lot of the gentlemen, you know, when you get to go play basketball, normally there's two guys shooting for the choose the teams. And I was never the one to be the first two to shoot, so I was never the one to get chosen. So I always, you know, always been really mad and about that. But what I always did, <laughs> but what I did, me and my friends, I, it was some milk crates. You know, we took a couple of the milk crates, we cut the bottom of it out, I went and hung it on the fence, on each end of the fence. We had our own basketball court. So, you know, that's where we start developing really good confidence in the skills. So then all of a sudden, I made sure the next time that we go out that I would be probably one of the first two guys to shoot the basketball. So I was able to shoot. I was able to make it. And now I was able to choose my team. And I got the opportunity to play with the guys. And from that moment on, I played with them every day, every day since. 
because after that one game that I played with those guys, I think I probably had about 15 steals and had I don't, 15, 20 assists and about 20, 12 or 14 points. And it was all layup, though, because I was quick and I was getting to the basket. And I was just throwing the ball up and getting it over top of their hands. And then all of a sudden, I started getting the respect from some of the guys that I was playing against. And then they would start. Then all of a sudden, Muggsy arrived. They gave me the nickname Muggsy. And for a lot of you guys out, I'm quite sure you remember the show called The Bowery Boys. It was a character named Muggsy. Him and a bunch of guys that kind of controlled the neighborhood. And once I got to that certain age, when I started playing with the guys, when I got the nickname Muggsy, I all of a sudden now became the guy that they wanted to follow behind. So I became the kind of little leader of our little uh, crew. And we would always go out and always play. And then now, when we get around to the game of basketball, Muggsy is always the first one always been chosen. So that kind of started my basketball career. And as we kept going on, kept going further, you know, I still had to continue to prove myself. You know, now I gained the respect of my neighbor, of my, my peers, my guys in my neighborhood. So now it's time to play, you know, middle school basketball. We, you know, we had junior, elementary and junior high and high school. At that time, it wasn't no middle school. You know, we had first through kindergarten to sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth was high school. But I was about to be in the seventh grade junior high school basketball team. You know, a lot of big, tall players, name Muggsy Bowes is starting to be spread, names starting to get a little recognition around the neighborhood. But the coach, coach just saw this little kid stepping on the basketball court. He told me I couldn't practice. He said, son, you're too small. You know, I don't think you should be out here playing with these guys. So, and the, but the other kids were saying, well, coach, that's Muggsy, Muggsy Bowes. He knows how to play basketball. Didn't matter. Coach wouldn't let me play. So I'm in the seventh grade. I couldn't play for my junior high school team. So I had to wind up playing recreation basketball. You know, and at that time, it's really, you know, I, I'm, I, I start to become a little cocky little kid now, a kid that's starting to believe in himself. And it really started, you know, make me really angry that these guys are not letting me play because of my size. So I felt I had to find out for myself, how can I change these guys' perceptions? What can I do to change the perception of these coaches wanting big, tall guards to play that spot? So I decided, okay, I'm going to be a pest. Instead of just going out there, playing the game, and playing with everybody, blending in with everybody, I'm going to be that different guy. So I started playing guys as soon as they catch the basketball. And as soon as they caught the basketball, they didn't want to dribble. And they kept giving the basketball up. Then I start figuring out, okay, now these guys are getting really angry. They're not wanting to go up against me, so they're passing the basketball. So I start to figure out where my strength was. Guarding that basketball, being a little pest, being a little, you know, a little water bug where they, they don't like you to be in front of their face all the time. They always want that little cushion. So I start developing that mentality, make it tough for my opponent. Make it tough for my opponent. And then when I start making it tough for my opponent, I start gaining confidence in myself. I used to take the trash out a lot. My mom would give me chores to take the trash out. And where we live, our dumpster was behind the house. So I had to, by the lower five-minute walk every day that I had to take my trash out. And while I'm taking the trash, 
used to have the basketball dribbling with me, and of course, a whole lot of trash was landing <laughs> right behind me, so I'm constantly picking the trash up. But eventually, eventually, as many times that I did it, and I always say redundance, redundance, redundance always become precise. So as many times that I did it, didn't realize I started to get really good dribbling that basketball. Now I got the trash in one hand, ball in the other, and I was switching it and you know, I was starting getting really good dribbling ball with either hand, and then I looked down, no trash. So I start, start realizing, if I dribble this basketball, I can really dribble without looking at it, you know, and get to where I need to go, I can, you know, start becoming a pretty decent basketball player. And on top of me playing defense, maybe I can play this game. You know, maybe I can change the perception of these coaches who are thinking that a little guy can't play the game of basketball. So by me starting developing all those, how to learn the fundamentals of the game, how to dribble the basketball with my right, how to dribble with my left, how to make the right pass, how to now shoot the ball properly, because at first it was a challenge for me to get the ball over my opponent. It was a major challenge, you know, because when you're young, you're doing the push shot. You're pushing the basketball up. You're trying to push it. And when you're pushing it and guys were so tall, the only thing they had to do was just do like this. So... I had to figure out how to create some space in order for me to get my shot off. And all that stuff that goes with basketball where we, it looks so easy or look for normal guys to play, I had to figure it out a little different because of my size and because of the, the art of the shot, because of the height of the player, and because of what the game supposedly had meant. So by doing all of that and figuring all of that out, you know, I knew that I could play. And my last task was now that you got to understand that you're going to be a certain guard, you're going to play only one position on the floor, and that position was going to be the point guard. So I had to understand what that meant. What does the point guard mean? And by figuring out what the point guard meant, I knew that it, Distribute the basketball. We got to try to get everybody the basketball. We got to try to run the team and keep the balance. And then I start to figure out, okay, I'm fast, I'm quick. I can create a little faster tempo. And I can try to get easier baskets as opposed to just sitting up and just coming down and just playing against the big guys because I felt like it was a more of a difficult challenge for me. And I felt by playing at a faster pace, it gave me more of an advantage. So I started to really, truly figure that thing out, understanding what the, the position of the point guard game calls for. You're the leader of the team. You're that guy. You're that guy that's directing each and every one of those players. You're the one that's putting them in position, and before they can go, you got to be the one to having them set. And I realized that I was an extension of a coach. So the coach gave me the game plan. I got to make sure that everybody else understand the game plan. The two, the three, and the other, the other positions, they can get away with not knowing everything about the play. But the point guard and what I understood, I couldn't do that. I had to be the one that understand everything. So I can make sure that everybody understand what their roles are or what they're supposed to do. And by me start figuring that out, I realized, you know, 
I can play this basketball game. And when I got to high school, you know, we had one of, one of the most talented teams that ever been assembled that was put together. We had four gentlemen on that team that was fortunate enough to make it into the NBA in high school. And we all had that same dream. We lived in that same area, not knowing that where it was going to carry us, but we all had that same passion and the same hunger to play the game of basketball. Had no idea that we was going to make it into the NBA. NBA was the furthest from our dreams. We just wanted to have an opportunity to play high school basketball and possibly may go to college and get an education. And by us all having that same vision and that same passion, we all helped one another. We all pushed one another. We all kept each other out of trouble. Because we had a very lot, we had a lot of talented basketball players in the inner city of Baltimore. A lot of talent. A lot of them didn't make it for various reasons. They didn't give themselves an opportunity. They didn't give themselves a chance. You know, they got caught up in that fast lifestyles. They wanted the, the fresh tennis shoes and the nice sweatsuits and the cash in their pocket right then and there. But we had a little more understanding that we wanted something different because we had a passion. Basketball was our passion. I mean, that was my girlfriend for my all my high school from elementary to high school. That was my girlfriend. I kept her with me all the time. That's why I call her, <laughs> you know. And by doing that, I think we all, like I say, we all helped one another. And we had a coach who was a former professional athlete who played football. But he had the understanding how to manage all this talent that he had. We had a gentleman that went to um, Georgetown University. His name was Reggie Williams. I had a gentleman on my team. His name was Reggie Lawrence. He played with the Boston Celtics, who he passed away in 1992 during the playoffs when the Hornets was playing the Boston Celtics. Uh, and they had another gentleman by the name of David Wingate who was fortunate enough to make it in the, in the NBA who came out of Dunbar. But Coach Wade, he was the guy. He was our father image because we didn't have a father figure in our household. My pops got put in prison when I was 12 years old. So my mama, she dropped out of school when she was in 11th grade. She had to go back to get her degree when pops went back to when Pops went, uh, went in the concert, when he got put in conservation, she had to go back and get her degree so she could, I mean, get her high school diploma so she can provide for her four kids. And that kind of set a message for me that I got to make sure that I stay focused to make sure my mama is going to have some kind of help from our fourth for the four siblings that she had. We're going to try to, all of us, we're going to try to do something to make sure that mom's to have some help because my brother, he went, to, he went to a service and went to the Army to help my mom. My sister, she was fortunate enough, she played basketball, got a scholarship and played. And my other brother was in, he had a job, was working. And I was the only, I was the youngest still in high school trying to continue to do, get my education so I could try to go on and better myself to help her as well. But again, back to the coach, Coach Wade was the guy that really kept us focused. He instilled a lot of great value in us, and he was able to manage us the way we wasn't those athletes that went out there that got ourselves in trouble. We always knew where we came from, and we always made sure that we kept our, our nose clean because we wanted to make sure that we gave ourselves an opportunity. And as we doing, as doing that, and when all the college coaches would used to come and watch the big-time players, 
because we had Reggie Williams. He was the number one player in the country. They used to come watch all the big-time players, but every time they came to watch them, when they left, they start talking about that little kid Muggsy. they like, gosh, I want to know where that little kid Muggsy going to wind up. I mean, he's real tough. I mean, he's a great competitor, but we can't be the one to take that chance. So I heard so many opportunities, so many chances of universities not taking the opportunity to give me a chance for a scholarship. And then all of a sudden, Wake Forest come along. My senior year, I mean, we became the number one team in the country. The two years that I was at Dunbar, we was 59-0. and Yeah, we went 59-0. and We didn't lose a game. We was 28-0 the first year. And then the following year, we was 31-0. And, um, and then that's where we was, became on the national scene. And a lot of coaches start all of a sudden believing that if this little kid can run a, a high school program and continue to make guys around him better, he must have an IQ level for the Division I game of basketball. So someone, somebody, and, and then all you kept hearing, someone is going to take a chance. Someone is going to take a chance. I got a few offers. I got quite a few offers. I got offers from Virginia then. Then I got offers from Maryland, from uh, Seton Hall, uh, Georgia Tech, and Boston University. But the reason I chose Wake Forest for, uh, for two reasons. One, I knew that it was a very, very difficult school. I knew it was a very difficult school. It was going to be a major challenge for myself because I knew if I didn't make it in the basketball world that I would definitely survive in, in whatever career I decide or whatever uh, education that I decide to pursue, I knew I will survive in that aspect. And that's why I majored in communication. And that's why I went to Wake Forest, because I didn't know that basketball was going to pan out for me. But I wanted to give myself a chance. And two, I knew that my mom couldn't afford to come to the games, and I knew that the ACC was going to be televised every Saturday, and that she can turn on that channel and she can see her son every weekend. So those were one of the two main reasons that I went to wait, for the challenge and for the opportunity to, for my mom to watch and see me every day. And once I got there, it was very tough. Uh, again, even though the coaches believed in me, uh, but the media didn't. So the coaching staff and the, and the uh, university was taking a lot of slack behind giving a five foot three of uh, 40 thousand dollars scholarship to come to Wake Forest University. So they took a lot of heat behind that, you know, and that was something that, you know, I knew that I was going to make them proud of. I just was waiting for an opportunity. My first year was very tough. I played behind a gentleman by the name of Danny Young. You know, Danny Young was a senior. He was a pretty good basketball player, but, you know, I had a such confidence in myself that I believed that I was better than anybody. And that's why I, that's the mentality that I had, and that's the, the message that I carried around in my brain every day, because that's how I had to play. And that's how I had to think. I couldn't let anybody feel that they had any sort of advantage. And that's one of the, the ways that I always approach when I played the game of basketball. And that first year, you know, Coach Tacey played me about 10, 15 minutes a game, and we was able that year to retire Ray Meyer from DuPaul University. And we was able to make it to the Elite Eight and lose to the Five Slammer Jammers, which was a Keem one back then. And Houston was a pretty good team. But that next year came was my sophomore year. 
And that's where it all started. That's where my really my career just started to, to blossom. Because we had that very that, that one year, that first year, we played North Carolina State. And it was a national televised game. And it was against Spud Webb and myself. So <laughs> you got two small guys on national two that no one really ever heard about uh, playing Division One basketball. So that was a big, big time. And Al McGuire was calling the game. And that was a big time game back then. And I wound up having uh, 20 points, 10 assists, and we beat State Round by about 20 points that day. So it was a huge, huge lift off my shoulders, understanding that now the world was introduced to a guy who's five foot three and five foot seven, Spud Webb, uh, can play the game of basketball with anyone. So the game is not meant for a six foot or seven foot. The game is meant for whoever has the ability to play the game of basketball. And that, from that moment on, you know, I went on and kept doing some wonderful things with the game of basketball. You know, in the year of 87, a year of 86, you know, I was fortunate enough to play in the U.S. Uh, Olympics team that where we went over and won the gold medals in uh, Madrid, Spain. Uh, had David Robinson and, you know, those guys. And the first time, that's when it was just taking the college guys. That was before now they're taking the NBA players over. Uh, at that time, they were just taking all collegiate players over. And they, haven't, they didn't win it. Uh, last time they won it was in 72. And then we came back and won it in 86. So that was a big, big accomplishment. Thank you. That was a major accomplishment for myself and, uh, and the, for the U.S. Uh, and then the following year, the draft come around, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to get invited to the draft, and no one thought that I would get drafted. Uh, I was projected at the time to go late second round, possibly early second round. Uh, but we had the opportunity to go to Chicago, which is the, called the pre-draft camp. And a lot of players really didn't take advantage of it. And the ones who do, who did, we was able to benefit from it. And it's kind of a situation with players and their agents where they kind of get the advice to go or not to go, which is a situation that's going on right now with the young man Kyrie Irving. And uh, John Wall went through it last year, and he was able to um, go ahead and uh, put on a show for the guys. But in 87, it was a little different. Uh, we had a lot of big-time players coming in that time. You know, we had Steve Alfred. You know, I don't know how you guys' history of the basketball, but back in the day they had Steven, Steve Alfred who won it with Bobby Knight. You know, they had Tommy Amaker at the time with uh, Duke, was pretty prominent back then. They had the young man by Pearl Washington, you know, at Syracuse University, Kenny Smith, Kevin Johnson. Uh, we had a ton, a ton of guards coming out that year. You know, and then at the draft, you know, when it was time to be called, I was the 12th player chosen. I got drafted by the Washington Bullets. I was the first-round draft pick. And in Chicago, which, which did it was at the training camp, at the pre-draft camp, Scotty Pippen, myself, was on the same team. And Scotty was projected to go early, late first, uh, early second. So he and I was able to really raise our stock once we left that's Chicago camp. I went 12, and he wound up going five. So we kind of, you know, we always joke about that, 
during that time, how we kind of raised our stock up there during that pre-draft camp. But that was a big time. When, you know, when I got drafted and was able to go over and shake David Stern's hand and put that hat on my head, I felt like the whole world has, was lifted off my shoulder because I have arrived and I was able to make it. You know, and then there's another story. I had to keep on going. You always got to feel like you got to keep proving yourself because now they say it was too small to play high school basketball. No, no, he's too small to play high school. He's too small to play college. He's definitely too small to play the NBA. You know, it's just a Navi act. The, walk, the Bullets took him because they got the tallest player in the, in the league. Now they want to have the shortest player in the league. So, <laughs> so, so they wanted, they, they, they felt like it was going to be a Navi act and they wanted, but you know, I was a serious basketball player. I never got caught up in that situation. Things didn't work out with me in, uh, in Washington. We had uh, a bunch of, Older guys at the time, and the style just didn't match. We had, you know, Moses Malone. I had Bernard McKee. I mean, Bernard King, uh, Manute at the time, uh, Jeff Malone, Daryl Walker, uh, John Williams. I mean, a lot of guys back in that time. You know, those are the, the players that I played with. And there was, and at that time, those guys was on their way out of the league, and I was just coming in. So it was kind of a fast guy with a Guys who just like to kind of trumpet up and down the court, so it kind of didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't work out for me. And then, fortunate enough for me, by leaving, you know, spending a lot of time in the in the North Carolina at Wake Forest, and then find out that Charlotte, North Carolina, has now been awarded a new franchise, and got a phone call from the owner, and they told me that they was very interested in me, but I knew I was still with the uh, the Washington Bullets. And I just got finished speaking with my coach at the time, which was Wes Unsell. And uh, Wes had promised me that, you know, we was about to get rid of everybody. You know, we're Muggsy, we're going to run. We're putting the ball in your hand. And that's always a kiss of death because the next day I was out of there. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's how it works in the NBA. Every time they promise you something that's going to happen for you, the option always turns out to be. Yeah. So that's how the NBA works. Yeah, but when I when I got that phone call, and then knowing that okay, there's a possibility, you know, the Charlotte Hornets getting a new franchise, and the action try to acquire uh, um, the action of my my my, um, my my service. So when West told me that I was going to be fine, then I find out that they have to protect eight players, and four of the other players are available for the uh, expansion draft. Uh, they called me and told me that they was going to let me go ahead and, and go into the expansion draft. So I told them, okay, that's fine. I appreciate everything. And then went down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then my career just took off. I was able to get with uh, an organization that understood what my strength and my talents were, and I was able to go on and, uh, and do some wonderful things. I played with some great, great players in, in Charlotte. With We was talking about the gentleman was mentioned, we need Grandma Ma back, you know. Yeah, and, and that Larry Johnson was one of the he's just a great friend, great teammate, great teammate to play with. Alonzo Morning was a great is a great friend, a great teammate to play with. Del Curry is a great friend, great teammate to play with. I mean those guys, you know, you go to war with because we all had an understanding what each one of our roles were. And we all accept the roles and that's why we was able to be successful for so long in the city of Charlotte. And, uh, and that's what it's all about, you know, understanding your roles.
You know, you got to understand your roles because everybody can't do the same thing. And that's what I was alluding to when I understood, when I was saying earlier, I understood what my strength was. I understood that I was a point guard. I understood that I'm a leader. I understood that I can make guys around me better. And I can elevate guys to want to play better. And that's who, and I knew that's what my strength. People like to have other folks to motivate them and bring them out, you know, to push them a little further. And that was me. That was that, was that type of guy. I want to push you. I want to get the most out of you. Because everything I do, I'm going to do it 120%. I'm going to give it 120% because I don't want to be the one that walk off of the court or walk off away from a situation and say, man, I could have did that. I know I could have done that. If I would have just put a little more energy in it, a little more effort in it, I'd have had that. I don't want to be that guy. I never wanted that. I never was that guy, and I, never, and I don't like being that guy. I like pushing. I like for people to reach their full potential because that's all I know. That's all I carry around in my brain, how to be the best. You've got to constantly keep making adjustments, how to continue to keep trying to beat the system or work with it. And, and in the basketball, you know, we have to, you know, in the point guard, you've got to keep everybody happy. Everybody, you know, I had a shooter, Del Curry. Del Curry couldn't put the ball on the, on the floor three, three, three times, three, no more than three times. And I knew that. So I'm not going to put Del in a situation where he's going to have to put the ball on the floor three times because that's my turnover. Because I know what his strength is. You know, just like Alonzo Mourning. You know, I know Alonzo loved a, a ball on a certain, a certain spot. You know, a big man like to catch the ball. So you've got to understand your surroundings. You've got to know what their strengths are. And you've got to know what your strength And I knew that. And that's one of the reasons why I was able to get the most out of, you know, my guys. You know, in my last year, you know, I played 14 years in the NBA. 14 blessful years. And thank you. Uh, and I, I could have played 17 years, you know. I got paid for 17 years, but I had to walk away from the game. And the reason I walked away from the game, it gets tough. It always gets tough when it gets to this part. You know, my when I lost when I left Toronto in 2001, got traded with the New York Knicks, and I was still hurt, and um, I was just getting myself back together, getting my strength back, and. At the end of the season, I finally got my health back. I finally got my strength back because I had surgery on my knee. And at the end of the season, you know, the New York Knicks had called and and said, Muggsy, you know, we're going to trade you to the Dallas Mavericks. And I said, okay, that's fine. So um, got the call, and Mark Cuban is the owner of the Mavericks. I think he took over. He was two years into it. And... When we got, when I got home that summer, my mom had got worse, got, uh, got sick. Well, she was sick. She had cancer, but it gotten worse. And, but she didn't tell me the whole, during the whole season. Never knew. And so when I got home, uh, she went to our last camp, went to our chemo. She said she wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, then that's when, that's when I told Denmark Cuban I couldn't, I couldn't play anymore. And that's when I walked away from the game. And, uh, yeah, but, I mean, my mom, she didn't watch, 
I mean, that was my biggest hero. She was my biggest supporter. Because as I said earlier, she had no indication what basketball was about. She had none. She just knew our son was coming in there, complaining about people picking on him, and they just talking about her baby. And, you know, all this she said, no one can be an expert on your life. Nobody know your capabilities or your potential. You just go out there and you can be whoever you want to be. And I was like, you know, I was young. I was like, all right, mom, okay, okay. But, you know, it, and that just stuck with me for so long. For so long it stuck with me. And when she passed, I just couldn't play no more. You know, I had, like I said, I had three more years left. But it just wasn't worth it. Thank you. These are joyful tears, by the way, because I know she's up there, she up there smiling and laughing and all that. But I just didn't want to play the game anymore because it didn't mean anything. And it wasn't like that I had all the money in the world either. But... <laughs> But where I came from and what I was given, and I did fairly well. I did pretty well with my money and didn't splurge and didn't live extravagant, lived comfortably, took care of my family, and continued to take care of my family. So still living in my same lifestyle, haven't changed, living in my same house after 20-some years. And, but, man, so... But she was the one. I mean, she was just so special. She was only 4'11", you know. (laughs) She was so small, but had a very loud mouth. You could hear her anywhere, just like me. And, uh, you know, I was always kid that, you know, everybody in my family, you know, we're small. My tallest brother is 5'6", you know. My my dad was 5'5", and, you know, I always tell him that we the five-foot family. I told her, I told her I believe my mom had me. I was five foot three, you know, when I came out. But she was the best, though. You know, my mom was the best. Her and my dad, you know, may rest in peace as well. You know, even though my dad wasn't around most of my life, and uh, he was there up until 12, 12 years of it, and then got put in prison. Now, I never judged him. Still never judged him. You know, he was a man. It came up through a different time. And, you know, he was in that inner city in the Baltimore area, and I knew what that lifestyle was about. And he he did what he could for his family, made sure that we had food on our table. And my mom never talked badly about him, and she always visited him. And I visited him a couple of times, but I couldn't go visit him much in, that, in prison because that was not a place that I like to go to. But one thing about my parents, I love them to death. I will always love them. I will always say how much they meant to me, knowing that my dad wasn't always there for me. But he still gave me the truth, the right values, and instilled the principles that I know as a man, as a as a young man, that I needed to to continue to provide for my family because that's what men do. We provide. And I know that I was a good provider. And I was, and I got a son, one only son, and that's the message that he gets every day. That he makes sure that he provides for his family. And that's where it starts. That's where the household starts. Because we all have our roles. You know, our women are the nurturers. 
you know, they're the one that make the household works. You know, without them, houses is just a house. It's not a home. You know, I got divorced in 1997. You know, me and my wife, we was young, young sweethearts when we was growing up. And we got mixed up during our time in the NBA. We divorced. I had a, had the, the fortune to find true love again with, uh, with a young lady in 2005. And she passed away in 2008 with breast cancer. And, you know, God's good because what he did, you know, he brought my ex-wife back in my life. And believe it or not, I never thought that we would ever be able to get back together. And uh, and she and I have been back together for two and a half years. And uh, the home is a home again. And, you know, my kids are definitely are happy that we are together and that we as a family. But that's what, you know. Yeah. But that's what life is all about, you know. You know, that's what it's truly all about. And, you know, we can really get, you know, get so far away from it in our day-to-day activities and take things for granted and, and not look at the little things. You know, life is so important to me. Family is so important to me. You know, the man upstairs, he's the one that's in control and guiding me through this and been keeping me at this at this pace for so long, you know, and allow me to continue to grow more ways than one. You know, I'm not perfect, never said I was, and but always continue to want to learn and want to get better. And that's where I, I continue to keep reaching out to the youth and continue to keep, you know, pushing them because people can be, I mean, kids can be really cruel these days. I mean, they really can. You know, I go around and talk to so many middle schools, high schools, elementary, you know, and a lot of them, they just know me from Space Jam, you know. <laughs> you know, that's where they know me from. But that's that's all good because I told them that, that the monsters gave me my powers back, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it, it's really, um, you know, today it's really cruel out here sometimes where, you know, how people can try to, persuade someone else to want to do good, you know, and, and I just don't understand that. I really don't understand why would you want somebody to do good? Why would you want somebody to see somebody to do bad? Why would you wait, like to see reading in the paper that someone who made it to the top, all of a sudden, they lost it all? You know, I just don't get it. really don't get it. You know, that's one of the reasons that I try to tell the kids, you know, believe in yourself. You got to believe in yourself because you're the one that's in control. You're the one that's in control. You know, no one, as I always said, as I mentioned earlier, no one knows what your potentials are or your capabilities. They don't know what you carry around in your brain and your mind because the person that we are is what we think every day. Our activities, is the behaviors, everything else, day-to-day Things that we do is what we carry around now here, and that's what I tell my players. You know, the player that you're gonna be is what you carry between these ears. You know, 
and, and believe in yourself and take it and don't take everything for granted. You know, and I always make sure that I tell them, you know, before you go, when you go home, make sure you tell the person that's caring for you that you love them, that you care for them. You know, because we take that for granted so much. We really do. And I lost too many people, too many close ones, to take life for granted anymore. You know, and it's really can happen any moment, you know. That's why, you know, we can walk out here today and something could happen to me. But I always, I, I know that I did all I could for the people that, that was in my corner. And I try to make sure that I give them all that they give me. So, with that said, I'm going to stop up here sharing these tears. And if you guys have any questions, I'm going to sit there. Muggsy Bogues! Wow! Painful being real. Painful being real, brother. Sorry about that, brother. Great. Awesome. I don't know about you guys, but I got about two pages of notes. I got about 15 points I'm going to be teaching on over the next six months. Okay, let me tell you. I got a lot of great stuff. Um, I just overcoming adversity, persistency, commitment. Understanding your role. How many of your teams need to be clear on what the role is? Raise your hand. That's so big a point. So big. So many things relate from basketball to life. Don't focus on the destination. Always enjoy the journey. Be in the game. How many of you find yourself not present all the time? Boy, we just get distracted. You got to really stay focused on the game and what you're doing. And, you know, you need a coach. You got to have great coaches and great mentors in your life. Got to believe in yourself. I think he finished with that. It's what's up here between your ears that really matters. It's so powerful. Take advantage of your opportunities. I think so many times doors are opened a little bit, and the Bible says they open a crack. And what are you supposed to do? You got to walk right through them. You got to seize those opportunities all the time. Listen, it's got to be the right fit. Whether it's with your spouse or your teams or the, the town you're in, it's got to be the right fit. And always improve the people around you. Make a difference. And last I got out of him was be whoever you want to be. Make it happen. You decide. I'm going to take some questions for him right now. Yes, sir. Well, he was playing. He's not playing anymore. Uh, I told him it's a privilege to play the game of basketball. And he came up a little different than I did. Uh, he's right around that Seth Curry, Dale and them son. Uh, they were around the same age. And uh, when he got to high school, you know, and he found social life and felt that was a little more important than so, so he, he didn't find the basketball as a girlfriend? Yeah, and he didn't find the basketball as a girlfriend. He tried to find a girl as a girlfriend, which wasn't happening. <laughs> so we had to end his basketball. But he's, he's very skillful. I mean, he wished that he would have, you know, do it, did it differently. Right now he's in business school getting his business degree. Do you think it's harder for the kids when they grow up well off than when they grow up struggling? Um, well, it's a, that's a, it's a little different because I don't want to say... Uh, because Del Curry and Stephen and that family, he did it the exact way. Right. And so, and, but it, it is a little challenging. It is. It is. They it, don't it, have the adversity that you have to rise through when you grow up poor. Absolutely. And the hunger is not there. Right. You know, so it all depends on that individual and what his passion is. You know, you could come from a great background and still have that passion. Grant Hill came from a great background. Yep. You know, so there's a lot of good people that came from great backgrounds who can still stay on that path and make it. It just depends on that individual. True. Next question. Did you ever get a chance to revisit with that junior high school coach that just didn't let you play? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 How did that go? 
And by the way, he said he made me. He was, he, he was the one that made me. Michael Jordan's yeah. coach said the same thing to cut him. Yeah. He made you, huh? Yeah, he said he was the one that made me. By him not letting me play, he made me go out there and, and, uh, and make so it he inspired hard. you, he inspired huh? Me to the takeaway clothes, yeah. we call that, okay? <laughs> yes, sir. I play a lot. Uh, I'm sure, let me say that. I teach a lot. And by me teaching, you know, I'm up and down the court. But not as that I'm, you know, a 20-minute game or that sort of stuff. But I can get up and down the court still. We'll be playing. Me and him will yeah. be playing. I guarantee you. Oh, that. yeah. Merritt, one-on-one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I follow a lot. He already knows I follow a lot, okay? I already did the scout report on him. He's Next a hacker. Question. He's a hacker. Don't let him get near me. <laughs> Questions? Well, first of all, that was amazing, and thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I know you said early on you got shot, so you had a really life-changing experience, but how? what did you do? Because what impressed me so much is that you always blocked out any self-doubt. Any You never bought into anything. And sometimes salespeople can have drama and buy-in. What is it you said in your head? I mean, what is it that kept you just never even letting that get in at all um as i alluded to earlier i think after that experience uh possibly maybe losing my life that it, it didn't matter what anyone else said about how short or how you know it didn't matter it just i believed in me and and i developed that at that early age and that's what i that's probably one of the reasons why i was able to keep going through keep going through where it didn't matter and so when folks said anything negative, I try to turn it into a positive. Awesome. Oh, Dayton, go ahead. You got the mic. Go ahead. Uh, you reel off a lot of good points that, that Muggsy made. One of them that you didn't mention was respect. And everything I heard you say was the, all the guys you played ball with in high school, you, call, you referred to them as gentlemen. You talked about respecting your coaches and respecting your parents, especially your dad, even under the circumstances. Can you, and, and yourself, obviously. I mean, who you are and the man you become. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's not just a – automatic behavior anymore but just really giving respect to people well when you well it, it just goes hand in hand when you give respect you get respect you know and that's just how you treat people you know when you treat someone badly they're going to try to treat you badly and it comes around calm is something you know it's calm is something and that's one of the things that you know i never want to ever put myself in those situations never had to second guess or think about you know meeting an individual meeting someone that you never know that's a beautiful thing you know, that's the one that I'm now coming in contact with, sharing information, and me sharing information. That's something that's beautiful. You know, that's just something that, that's how I look at it. That's just how I look at the world. Awesome. Tom? Hey, Muggsy, thank you so much for the last, for 14 years of fantastic basketball. Right. But, you know, earlier you talked about, you know, you weren't going to let anyone really get in your way, that, that you were going to believe in yourself. Now that you look back and you look at all the people that you came across, that had more talent and more God-given uh, abilities and were built differently, and you look at them and you see that there's no desire and the desire is lacking so much. How does that make you feel because of the desire you had and you look at the wasted desire, wasted talent that other people had? Well, again, like I say, I, I never judge anyone. Uh, I just look at it as God gives us all a gift, you know, and those the one that recognize and, and that that gift, you know, that's a blessing right there. We've got to understand he, he, he gives us all a gift. You know, it's a matter of us recognizing what that gift is. At that early age, 
I must have understood what that gift he gave me, and uh, and I explored it. You appreciated it, developed it, appreciated it. I, I think that's very important that you you focus on the gifts that you get. I think that's awesome. Questions? Muggsy, you you know that uh, what we do, right? We we coach realtors and lenders, and 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 we kind of have the it's a hard road with us. So I, I totally appreciate that you picked the hardest school to go to. Why, why did you do that? Well, again, I knew it was a challenge, you know, and I knew, um, you know, I wasn't the type of kid growing up that I was in the books a lot. And I knew that the challenge that Wake Forest was going to present to me that I would have to face, that I knew I couldn't run away from. And I knew that I was going to be the one that go home and tell my mom that I quit. So that's why I chose Wake, because I knew it was going to be a difficult school. You know, I almost flunked out once, but, you know, doing the, the hard work and the dedication and the determination, it wasn't going to happen. So that's one of the reasons why I chose Wake, and I'm, I'm grateful that I did it, because my daughter decided she went to Wake, and she graduated in 2009 as well. Congratulations. Todd Screamer. Muggsy, a little bit of follow-up question. Um, we, in coaching, we encounter a lot of emotional distractions that uh, we are constantly trying to push people through. If anyone should have emotional distractions, it would be someone with your background, uh, both personally and professionally. So can you speak to us on how you think about those emotional distractions or how you dealt with them? I don't. I really, truly don't think about the emotional distraction. So you don't get distracted? I mean, if you get distracted, I mean, you, you get off course. You know, whatever that task is, I'm trying to focus on the task. You know, and just like when you got 23,000 screaming at you, you know, and they saying, and, and we on the road. And, you know, they for the opposing teams, you know, trying to get you up. You can't, you know, you may venture to entertain it, but at the same time, you got to stay on, stay on course. Because your emotions so high, they can really kind of make an imbalance. That's why you know you gotta you gotta stay on the task at hand and, and not get too emotionally attached. Stay laser focused to the task. I agree with that. We talk about it a lot, Muggsy, where we talk about speed bumps and brick walls. You know, you can make something a brick wall, or you can make it just a speed bump and go on right past it. That's true. And then thing, you know, uh, it's just like the game. We, like I said, the Bulls. They didn't won so many championships, and Michael Jordan. And Ryan Stoff, the owner, you know, they accomplished so much together. You know, there's a lot of emotions going on there. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, now there's business. It's time to do the business, and the emotions get separated. And then all of a sudden, he decided, well, you know, Michael, I think this is the, the business side of it. Uh, well, if I give you this, it's going to, you know, not going to, it's going to overshadow the things that we're doing. But the emotions part of it, hey, you know, we've been through a lot together. We won a lot. And my emotions and your emotions was pretty much at the same level. And then all of a sudden you taking the emotions out of it and you separating the business out of it. So that's why you got to stay on task. You know, you can't get so emotional because there's no loyalty. You know, as you really look at it. It's no loyalty. Got to enjoy the moment because you know how long, how long it'll last. No loyalty whatsoever. Last question for you. How important is coaching? Coaching is very important because coaching is more than just X and O's. You know, you can always say, okay, X, O, this is the play. Go out there and do it. 
but it's how you manage. You know, it's all about managing. How you get your people to give your best. Because you, everybody's not the same. His ego, his emotions is totally different from his. So we got to, how we keep everybody even key? Again, Dennis Rodman. One of, I mean, you know, when he joined the Bulls, you know, that's one thing about Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson, his coaching, he's one of the best at it, and he wins. It's not because of talent. You don't win just because of talent. Talent alone doesn't win. You got to know how to orchestrate those pieces. You got to know how to manage them, you know, because everybody is totally different. Everybody got a different role, you know, and everybody have different personalities. So you got to know how to match those personalities and those egos because, especially on that level, it's very high. As a player, as a professional player, how important is it to surrender to your coach's philosophy and your coach? <laughs> what? What's the problem here? What's the problem? Well, see, see, that's that's when the coach go wrong. When you... Throw me a bone, Monty. <laughs> see, see, that's when the coach lose them because you gotta allow them to have some input. You're kidding. Yeah. You know, they get to have a say? Because when they, when they allow, well, they allow the input was going to last because one thing you got to understand, you got to understand, you got a system. Everybody has a system. But every player may not fit that system. So you got to understand what that strength is, their strength, and then make that system fit their strength. That was the wrong answer, but I appreciate it, okay? <laughs> You are supposed to tell them they're supposed to surrender to the system. Surrender to the system. You know, it's in my mind. It's the way it works. You know, I, I... <laughs> I had a great time. Any last questions? <laughs> now nah, we're leaving. <laughs> okay, Linda, what's happening? Last question. Who's going to win the championship? Who's going to win it? It's going to be interesting. You know. I like to see, I really would like to see Jason Kidd Dallas win the championship. You know, I really would like to see that. And it's going to be tough, and I still think they're going to win it. Uh, Miami making some noise. OKC not going away either, but I think, I like to see and Chicago Dallas. got a shot still. Chicago, Chicago definitely Four good got a teams. Shot. Chicago definitely got a shot. Actually, once my Lakers were knocked out, it's all over. Basketball yeah. doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah, hey, Tom. Muggsy, I forgot to ask you earlier. I know your parents were very instrumental in your life. Who was your mentor? Who was my mentor? Who, was your, who were your mentors throughout your career? Well, my, my mom was my biggest. I didn't have that guy. I didn't have that guy. I had one gentleman that I kind of emulated my game behind. His name was Dwayne Wood. He was a small guy, 5'5". Five, five. Uh, he went to Dunbar High School. He was fortunate enough to go to Virginia State University. Uh, he probably would have been the smallest in the NBA if he would have chose a different route. Uh, he had the opportunity to, uh, at that time to go play with uh, Georgia with Dominique Wilkins, you know, but he wanted to go play with his friend, and um, he didn't get the national attention. Cool. Well, I got to tell you, it was great having you. It was a pleasure. I'm going to track you down and hound you and Charlotte. We're going to be friends. We're going to coach the kids and play the kids. Thank you very much. Foxy Bones. There's the man. I tell you, when you meet people like that have overcome a lot, their stories are amazing. For me, I loved his authenticity and his transparency.
That's what I loved about them. And that's, those are things I focus on being in life. And I honestly think too many people hide who they are. Because they're not, they, they, they almost have a form of shame about it. You ever notice that? It's like, be who you are. Good, bad, short, tall, indifferent. Just be yourselves. And I think when you work with a salesperson and you feel that he's kind of being the way he thinks you want to be. Like, I met a politician about a month ago in Charlotte. Really pretty big politician. So I met him at this fundraiser. And he must have been listening to me talk. Because he came up to me and he was talking really rough and tough, like I was some kind of gangster or something. He started swearing, and I don't really like that. People must think my personality, I would swear like, he's dropping F-bombs, he's talking all tough and bad. And I'm like, I can't stand that language, mister. Don't talk around me like that. And he was like shocked. And he later told another guy who was with me that he thought I would have appreciated that kind of behavior. And I think sometimes people get a misconception of who you are. Be clear to let them know who you are. Be authentic. Be clear. If you don't like somebody's language, tell them you don't appreciate their language. But I think sometimes people just try to pretend who you are. They try to, you know, be fake. Be real and be authentic. All right. I'd like to hear some of the things you learned. Take some turns with some mics. I'm going to grab it, what they, what they really got. It's a long run, Corey. You should have found somebody closer. Mr. Mark from San Diego, what's happening? Yeah, I was just really, really taken back with his whole the way he carried himself he was so everything was an attitude of gratitude it was a privilege to go to wake forest i had the privilege to play with these gentlemen yeah, i noticed he, that too he, he was just so respectful i think in your business if you could get out of your own way sometimes and realize the opportunities that you have and how amazing they are and how grateful you should be to have them how many can work on being more grateful for the opportunities you've had in life? I sure can. I think we take it all for granted. Mark, that's a fabulous point. Fabulous point. No, I, What'd you learn? The two biggest things I heard loud and clear were, number one, the grind. The guy loved to grind. You know, talking about the, the uh, garbage cans, talked about always dribbling the back ball and forth. And dropping the ball dropping the garbage. Exactly right. I heard that loud and clear. And then, um, you know, you always talk about one year or two years is okay, but... 10, 14, 15 years, you know, you've really arrived. Right. And so um, I think that that idea of don't focus on 15 years from now, get in the groove, focus on what, what the task is at hand, and you end up 14 years later as opposed to right. it's too far away, I can never get there. Like I never would have thought at 23 getting in the mortgage business that at 50 I'd still be doing it and loving it and teaching about it. You never think that. And I think you can't focus like he said on the destination of getting the NBA. You had to just love playing high school basketball. I think you guys got to just love what you're doing right now. Love it, love it, love it. Be passionate about it. Be the best you can be. It's, it's just what it's about. Okay, who's got the mic? Go ahead. I really liked how he talked about uh, knowing the strengths of the people he played with and how he had to put the ball right to the right person and, yeah, and give it to them as they needed it and as it would help them succeed. And I thought, how can I do, better, do a better job of, of working with the people not only on my team and helping them succeed, but also my but partners. But your realtors, my how to partners, help set them partners, up, teeing the them clients, up for success with team members, and, and with the client they're right. working with. How about just the ability of giving your processor a good package? I mean, that's just the little thing. But I think, I think a big thing when he talked about that is being the leader. Be, every one of us has to decide to what? Be the leader. Write this down. I am the leader. You have to be the one that makes it happen. You have to decide that you're the leader and that you're going to control your destiny. Yeah, Big Jim Bass from Maryland, local boy right there for you. Yeah, I, I think his, uh, you know, you talk about speed bumps and walls, and, and that's what I took from him, that uh, 
every, every obstacle was an opportunity for him. I mean, his focus was, I'm embarrassed that I allow myself to, to trip over some of the things that, that I've allowed to, to slow me down when this guy has had landmines thrown at him, and, 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 and his spirit is just unbelievable. I mean, the whole table we just talked about, his focus is just, if we had a tenth of, of the focus he has, It'd just be all I'll tell you time. something that I loved about that. You know, years ago, I have, I have really bad ADD. Like, I'm clinically off the chart for ADD, so I can't stay focused. And what I've learned to do is a guy taught me years ago to be like a horse in a race and have leather binders on my eyes. And when he was talking about focus, did you know he kept going like that? And it's like, you can't see all this. You've got to see this. And I think that I was taught that you put those hands up and you do it as a, just a sign, and then eventually you can do it, but I can still bring the hands up without seeing the hands. I think you've got to be laser-focused on the task. When you're done working, you've got to be laser-focused on who? Significant other and family. Laser, laser, clearly focused. I think when you're at work, you have to be laser-focused. Listen, I work less hours than you because I'm more focused at the task than you are. You guys are distracted by computers, internets, phones. People, you're distracted. I am laser-focused on what I'm supposed to do every single day, and my schedule is full from the minute I get in till the minute I go home. Yamanesh. He said, God gave us a gift. Can we recognize it? Wow. And that was pretty powerful. For me personally, it is pretty interesting because my son is only three, and for the last year he has been focused on basketball. He cannot be anywhere. But Give it up, Manesh. Give it up. <laughs> Indian five foot three is not going in the NBA, Manesh. <laughs> Give up the dream now. Thank you. Now, but listen, listen, it's, listen to me. It's not only recognizing the gifts God's brought you, it's doing what with them? Developing them and evolving them and using them and appreciating them. Big man, what you got? Rick, you kind of shared some of it, but, you know, it's enjoying the journey. Along that journey, it's not always easy. But perseverance and getting through builds character, and that character will take you to the end game. It will. So. It will. Very powerful insight. I think that's so important. Mr. Scotty Oliver. A couple quick things. I, I really enjoyed his authenticity. I did, too. Not, no fear of crying, um, and I like that about him. Cleo, run up with a napkin. Nice touch, Cleo, okay? Nice, very nice. But I also liked how he said, you are what you think every day. Yes. I thought that was like, so it's... You know, don't let your mind go the wrong places. If you think that life is great and these are great opportunities and you're a great loan rep or a great realtor, you'll live that way. Cool. He practiced since he you was You can hold five. on to it. It won't bite you. <laughs> he was practicing since five. Yeah. Every day. Practiced more than he played. Yeah. And that makes excellence. And I think that we have to really practice and develop our skills. Damien. He mentioned two things, one about, you know, entering that draft pick game up in Chicago, and then also when he said he left Washington. He recognized those as defining moments and took action on it. I thought that was great. Let's talk about that right there. There's defining moments in all of our lives. We're forced to make a decision, forced to make a change, and when you go forward with a defining moment, is it ever worse or is it always better? It's always better when you confront a defining moment. Jamey, what's happening, girl? Okay, Don Carter. I was inspired by and in awe of his mother. I was too. I pray to God I can be that to my son. She was his mentor, and I, I thought it was amazing that when she got sick, he stopped playing basketball. Gave up three years left on a contract and all that money to play basketball. 
and never talked about his father going being incarcerated, never judging. I truly believe the man does not judge. I think he has just a gifted heart and just an amazing, amazing man. Kirk. You know, I mean, obviously he's ungodly talented. You know, but what, some of the things we missed, every time he made a move, it was thought through. I went to Wake Forest because my mom could watch. I'm going to get more. I'm going to learn more. He was in, I'm going to go to high school. I'm going to do it here. I'm going to go to college, you know, and when he goes to the pros, I got this and I got this and I have this. Very tactical. Mm-hmm. Very thought through his moves. And he had, I think he had clear reasons why he was doing something. And I think what happens for most of us in America is we overcomplicate the stuff. Like the why am I doing it needs to be really, really simple and really smooth. And we've built a great company out of a simple why. And I think you've got to have a simple why while you're doing what you're doing. Alan. We talked about uh, when he said redundance always becomes precise. What do, you, what do you get out of that? Redundance always becomes precise. How you tell us all the time a great business is a boring business just doing the same thing over and over and over and being great at it. Yes, I think that's so true, and I hate to tell you that, but that is the best business is a boring business. Less chaos, less distraction. Big man, Jeff Anderson, what's happening, Mr. Army? He, he didn't miss any opportunities when he talked about, it was mentioned earlier about going to the pre-draft. Uh, he took that as an opportunity when other people around him didn't use that, and he elevated his stock. At the same time, he partnered up with somebody, and it caused me to think about my relationships or my partnerships Am I raising their stock, and are those relationships raising my stock? The other question would be, what opportunities are you missing? Likewise. You know, I think for all of us, there's that one more big phone call we can make. He went to that pre-draft camp, raised his stock. He went from a number two pick to a number one pick. Well, in those days, that was the difference between a $3 million contract and a $15 million contract. Yes, Brendan, I see your hands way high. You're really excited. See? You know, when Todd asked that question about getting emotionally distracted, his answer was, if you get distracted, you're lost. And I was like, wow. Powerful. Is, it's so simple. It is so simple. It's so clear. <laughs> Don't get distracted. That's true. Why do you have to talk about that so much, Brendan? Because I do get distracted. I was listening. Cool. Cleo, last, quite, last comment. I noticed that something about him, you can tell he never tried to be intimidating that he almost uh, would overcome you with his humility. I agree. I agree. It's very powerful. I will tell you this. I felt he was a very good man. I will pursue him passionately. I think we will become friends. I liked him a lot. He will be somebody I will pursue. Give an example. We brought Chuck Daly here years ago, and he had a summer home in Michigan. And I, I said, do you have an office? He said, nope. I said, I'll be glad to give you one anytime. I pursued that man. You've got to pursue the people that you meet in your life. That are, I think he can help me be a better man. And I definitely uh, liked him a lot. I thought he was great, and I enjoyed it. So go take a break. The snacks are now ready. You've been listening to Rick Ruby's Sales Training Boot Camp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call one 800 660-6670. That's 1-800-660-6670.